You're listening to a podcast hosted on the Podcast Matrix. Get your entire podcast library hosted now at whatisthepodcastmatrix.com. When you hear the words Friday the 13th, what do you think of? While most will recollect a certain impossible-to-be-killed masked individual bearing sharp weapons of all kinds, there's another Friday the 13th that deserves attention. In 1987, Friday the 13th, the series, created a rich tapestry of completely original storytelling. Based on a series of curious, devilishly enchanted objects that must be recovered and returned to the vault to prevent truly dark fates from befalling their owners. This is the detailed revisit and review of the adventures of their reacquisition. Episode by episode. You won't find any hockey masks here. This is the Curious Goods Podcast from Two Guys Talking Horror. Cops have a rough time of it already inside of mainstream media, but what about 35 years ago? Were they depicted as sage, courageous heralds of integrity? Did they deliver justice, righteousness, and a feeling of satisfaction when the bad guys finally got their just desserts? Far from it. It's time for the Curious Goods Podcast, a retelling, a revisit, and a complete educational detailing of each and every episode of Friday the 13th, the series. This time, Season 1, Episode 23, Badge of Honor. Greetings, everybody. I'm Mike Wilkerson, one of your hosts. And I'm Nicholas J. Hearn, your other host. Nick, inside this episode, we have some incredibly skewed perspective showcase of law enforcement officers, i.e. cops, inside this episode. I would agree. And so we're going to jam-pack where people can find all kinds of great perspective and stories of cops. The first is whatcopswatch.com. I'm completely biased because I am the host of WhatCopsWatch.com, but inside it, my co-host, Chief Chris DiGiuseppe, and I invite specialists, other law enforcement agents of all kinds across the board with special skill sets to talk more about what people see inside of television and movies as well as streaming media so that you understand what's real Mm-hmm. And what is a complete Hollywood sham, right, right. which is a lot of what you see inside of this episode of Friday the 13th. <laughs> again, I'm going to pepper home even more great content, again, from whatcopswatch.com. This time it's the Code of Silence perspective review. Inside of that, you have probably one of my favorite interactions, not only with Chief Chris, but also with a serving South Chicago cop whose name is Tommy Model. Tommy mm. Model has a, a, become a very good friend of mine. And he has a great YouTube channel that we'll mention also. It's over at freefieldtraining.com. And it's exploded into something absolutely ginormous. That episode, though, allows us to visit the city of Chicago. It allows us to visit an incredibly classic iconography-filled movie, 1985's Code of Silence, starring Chuck Norris. Ah, the (laughs) Chuck Norris. It is a grand listen, and I want all of you to go check it out. In fact, I'd like you to listen to that. It's an incredibly long podcast, but it will help all of you get the taste of this episode out of your mind and out of your mouth. Nick, let's get to the retelling of this episode, Season 1, Episode 23 of Friday the 13th, the series... Badge of Honor. 
a deal is going down. A series of no-good doers are waiting to be collected by the police who are just around the corner. They're not very stealthy, Mike. They're not stealthy, and they're being led by a zealous cop. His name is Sharko. This is not going to be good. Not only is Sharko overweight, not only is Sharko wearing one of 35 different tan overcoats like everybody else is wearing, he's also way overzealous and screws up the bust. As the bus literally goes sideways, a shot rings out, and a lady cop goes down. Because of Sharko's overzealous nature inside of this bust, a cop dies. Thanks a lot, Sharko. Yeah, not so awesome. The next day inside the station house, they're giving the boot to overzealous officer Sharko. The angry captain, who is also Sharko's former partner, is wailing on him a lot. Deservedly so, again. A cop is dead. Yep. Sharko cleans out his locker while carrying his things to his car. He stacks his full box next to the evidence locker. To the ground falls a sheriff's badge. It seems whoever's in charge of taking care of evidence just leaves things around in this precinct, Mike. Yeah, apparently not so awesome. It's not, it's not the way yeah. things are done. Definitely not the way things are done, especially anywhere near an evidence room. Right. News splashes forward onto the television talking about the bad guys from the previous event are now going free. Sharko turns off the news and the TV and decides to take a nap. Unfortunately, his nap is filled with terrible dreams. Dreams of a lady that walks to a car. Two gentlemen are running away from the car. The lady inserts the key into the car. The car explodes. The two men running cackle at the burning car. The car was Sharko's wife's car. And he wakes up. Apparently, Sharko's wife was caught in the explosion. And she currently lives inside of a portable bubble room inside of Sharko's home slash apartment. So you'd, you'd have to believe, you know, burn victim, you know, probably comatose as well. Definitely comatose. Don't know how because, he's... Because all you can hear is kind of the Darth Vader breathing machine. Well, yeah, so yeah. We snap back to an 80s club where the bad guys are once again planning nothing good. As the bad guys are swarmed by trashy women, Sharko arrives out in front of the club and starts to receive an ass whooping. An ass whooping most foul. <laughs> As Sharko's getting his ass handed to him, he drops the sheriff's badge. Right. And the bad guy decides just to walk away because you're not worth my time. But unbeknownst to the bad guy, Sharko stands up with a two by four because they're just laying around in alleyways nowadays. <laughs> right outside the club. Obviously. Right outside the club. The, the, and and wallops They're remodeling. Him. Right. They're remodeling. It, was, it must have been from a remodel. And Sharko wallops the bad guy to the point to where the bad guy falls upon the sheriff's badge burning him it, it's br literally brands the bad guy and then he shake rattles and rolls all over the place yeah some some kind of terrible seizure like right. event happens and eventually kills that bad guy terribly yes. as opposed to being killed wonderfully i prefer my corpses shaken <laughs> not stirred meanwhile back at the curious goods antique shop mickey's friend you know Tim, you remember Tim from last summer. He arrives to set up shop and slurp some top lip. Ryan is not pleased. No, not by a stretch. And it's because not only is the cousin territory not allowed, 
there's now someone else trampling inside of that territory. Yes. Meanwhile, back inside of Sharko's cop intensive care unit, former officer Sharko is sharing the details of his recent star badge Bernie vengeance with his bubble intensive cared wife. Yes. Which we still don't see yes, at all. Yes, he's letting her know he finally got one of the bastards that uh, was responsible for her accident. <laughs> right, right. Snap to a very convincing doc set. <laughs> Sharko meets with yet another dumb bad guy who's there to share details, but apparently not enough details. Sharko plunges the star badge into the bad guy's chest, and once again he dies after yet another super shaky... Gotta be kidding me, never want to experience it. Seizure session. Back at Club Disreputable, also known as Hoss, Mickey's friend is meeting with our main bad guy and setting up deals and preparing to move the paper to make connections and get bigger. Before the deals begin, Haas, the main bad guy, will have to investigate Mickey's boyfriend. A toast is shared between the two. Back at the Curious Goods Antique Shop, Tim arrives to interrupt Ryan and Mickey quarreling about Tim. Mickey goes to do something with her hair and white robe, blah, something, and Tim decides to use the phone. During the phone call, Ryan overhears a bit of what's said. None of it's good, and now it's time for potential sex. That is eventually interrupted by bad dialogue and Tim's fear of commitment. Haas has decided that he needs to get out of town. And Sharko believes he needs to be dealt with immediately. Sharko heads back to the squad room to clear out his desk that he didn't get done the day before and begs to get close to Haas. Like in the old days, when it was simple, he gets none of it. Sharko packs his box and heads on to the next adventure in his life. Ryan's talking to Mickey, again, in a white robe with the same hair. She hasn't apparently moved or done anything in the last 24 hours. Amazing. Ryan mentions to her that he overheard Tim's phone call and that he was talking about connections and deals and about not being found. And Mickey's not having any of it. Mostly. Ryan begins invading Tim's suitcase and it's time to deal with shirts, socks, and a silenced handgun as well as photos, black and white photos, black and white photos most foul. It's pictures of the local mobster Haas, and the story begins to get super thick. Not really. Almost as thick as the lines of cocaine that Haas is doing inside of his club. Haas is sharing the details for how much money will be traded for the high-quality cocaine that he's sharing, and in walks Sharko from nowhere. Amazingly. How the hell did that happen? No one knows. No, no one cares. One, no one knows. No one cares. And and immediately, a fight ensues. There's no talking. It's just, oh, look, it's Sharko. Oh, you mean a lumbering ensues. <laughs> Tim punches Sharko. Sharko goes down, and the bad guys scatter. He doesn't go down. He kind of leans over to the side to let gonna, the pressure off his right hip. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lean against this couch right here yeah, for a second. I need to catch my breath. Right, right. Ryan and Mickey also show up to the club to see what Tim is up to, and they actually witness Haas getting away, but leaving behind one of his enforcers, the other guy that blew up Sharko's wife's car. Right. And Sharko now rested from his his ordeal from inside, and he's gotten up off of, <laughs> off of the couch. He's dusted himself off, has now 
lumbered outside to take on this other bad guy number two in what is absolutely positively the the worst showdown I've ever seen. Bad guy number two shoots at Sharko. Sharko ducks and then lumbers at him. And we're using lumber a lot during this retelling, but that's what this guy does. He lumbers. He doesn't run. He doesn't scamper. He lumbers. And he lumbers at bad guy number two with the badge held out. <laughs> touching him. Now see, the bad guy doesn't shoot anymore. I don't know why. He just doesn't shoot anymore. And he allows himself to get branded by the tin star, f- forcing him to die of horrible, shaky, wackadoo convulsions. <laughs> Sharko heads home and shares the news and apologizes to his very silent wife, Gwen, of course, because... Haas still lives. Mickey and Ryan are now running through the details of history, and they find a previous series of killings that featured a star-shaped brand. And, oh, hey, Tim arrives back at the store, and Tim can't share any of the details. Tim leaves a sour taste in Mickey's mouth, and she asks him to leave, and he gets his things and does so. I invite you to leave this store, sir. Out you go, eh? Back at Haas's club, Haas is giving his goons the once-over because another of his men has died. Someone that was a brother to him died. He wants to know why he should continue paying the salaries and fostering the families of his men because one of his men died. This isn't a game. He identifies one of the men that's responsible in the pack and promises that if there's any trouble at all, then crack a bottle to the head for everyone. Just like that guy. That's a waste of good champagne, Mike. Definitely a waste of good champagne, but proving a point. Ryan and Mickey stop in to the local police precinct to visit with the same captain and share the details of what's going on and that they've seen the sheriff's badge, you know, the sheriff's badge from a previous series of killings that this captain knows everything about, except that the captain says that he doesn't know anything about what's being talked about and leaves their space. Son of a bitch. Tim calls Haas and finalizes his final deal. He'll meet Haas tomorrow at 4 a.m. to make the deal when it's pitch dark, except for all the lights in the shiny white limo. But it's the crisscross deal. Tim's paper that's going to be sold off to Haas is going to be sold off at 40 cents on the dollar, but it's bad paper. The captain stops over to Sharko's intensive care unit apartment to share what's going on to talk about the cooter killing you know the guy that thought he was the jesse james killer that a body with a badge burn mark was there inside of the recent killing and hmm bodies of those relating to sharko are now dying hmm by a badge's star burning mark hmm anyway there's a wrinkle this time (gasps) there were witnesses Sharko wants to know what the next step is and says, aren't we delivering a service to the community by killing the bad guys? Ryan and Mickey creep into Sharko's ICU home slash apartment slash whatever the hell it is through a window that's apparently open and absolutely silent. Sharko tells his former partner that it's time to choose and he chooses poorly. It's the sheriff star for the former partner and soon-to-be-dead captain, and as the partner dies, he falls into the bubble tent of Gwen. He doesn't just fall, Mike. When the brand touches him, he literally spasms down a hallway 
<laughs> bouncing off of walls. Like a like a pinball machine. Like a, ding, he ding, bounces ding, 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 into ding, ding. the bedroom and then flails across the bed, <laughs> knocking knocking off the plastic sheet, revealing a dried, dusty corpse. Right. Charco, in a murderous rage, heads down to Haas's club and finds out from a now beat up hooker that he smacks and smacks hard that I wasn't a smack. He punched her. Super dead in the face. <laughs> punched her. Yeah. And, and he finds out that Haas is down. Down at the docks. Down at the docks. Sitting on the dock of the bay. He's sitting on the dock of the bay waiting for the deal go down. Ryan and Mickey literally follow just 10 feet behind Sharko as he, yes, we said it again, lumbers to the docks. Uh, not so strangely, there's also an elegant white limousine and a cityscape waterscape also await us. The deal is going down. Tim walks into the space. Sharko subdues one of the guards for about five minutes. <laughs> That is showcased by some of the cheesiest shadow work ever in the in the history of television. Ryan and Mickey wander and find the dead guard. They see Tim walking around with a briefcase of money to do something. He approaches Haas. He identifies himself as a, huh? FBI agent. Haas shoots Tim. Haas shoots Mickey. Haas shoots Sharko. Haas chooses to walk over and gloat over Sharko's still-alive corpse somehow. Sharko slams the star home into the chest of Haas, and down goes Haas! Down goes Haas! <laughs> it's a slobber knocker, Mike! It's a definitive slobber knocker! Ryan grabs the star, and this week's cursed object is... Recovered! Somehow, inside of this episode, there are goods, believe it or not. We're going to run through them in shocking detail. (laughs) Sharko's acting chops. As much crap as we're giving Sharko inside of the retelling here, I was smitten by what we got from Sharko. If he'd have been given the platform to have maybe like a real-length movie, Yeah, I think we could have gotten a, a much better expose of talent here because I really did like what we saw in a lot of different scenes. But because it had to be so frantic because of the want-perceived pace inside of this, I don't think he had the shot that he really should have gotten. Yeah, But I did like a lot of the stuff that I saw from Sharko. I mean, like a lot, all of it. Right. They did well by going with a professional actor, Val Avery plays Sharko, and and Val Avery has had a very extensive career uh, during his 85 years on the planet. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, Some of the the, the big things that people would know him from is The Magnificent Seven, the original Mm. 1960s version. Mm -hmm. Uh, He was also in the original 1979 Amityville Horror, Mm. and he does have some experience playing uh, a police officer because he was also Chief Hallowell, in the 1986 film Cobra, oh, yeah, starring yeah. Uh, the great Sylvester thespian, Stallone. thespian of, of our age, <laughs> Sylvester Stallone. So, so Avery has the chops. He yeah. does have the chops. Yeah. And I, I believe that this is, this is one of those episodes where you've got a director and you've got a script. And they're telling you, okay, this is what we need you to do. And he's giving he's giving the the performance of his life everything that he's got. He's given everything that he's got. It's just one of those things to where it's 
you can't make a bad script better by adding a really great actor. It's just you gotta you gotta go with the ride. Yeah, and I think that's yeah. what uh, that's what Avery did as Sharko. Sharko's home set dressing. Of the things we saw in here, beyond the, hey, we're down at the docks, sitting by the dock of the Bay Block, <laughs> uh, beyond that, I thought that Charco's home set, you know, El Dumpo, has-been cop, and then the pan over to the pseudo-ICU chamber right. for his, uh, unfortunately, long-dead wife. I thought that that was extraordinary and a, a great nod of the cap to Psycho and a bunch of other movies where there's obviously somebody that's dead yeah. and is not being benefited but is is kept alive and in a prestigious position so as to not only talk to them but to foster along a, a, a prophecy and storyline of revenge. Well, if you look at the place before learning about the accident of his wife, it's like, wow, this guy's just just a slob. <laughs> But then, you know, you get that nice flashback dream he has, and you're like, oh, the wife blew up. And then, no, she didn't blow up. She's not, well, she's not dead. Mm-hmm. She's in the bedroom in a tent, you know, with hooked up to tubes and, and, and wires and, yeah. and stuff like that. So you're like, oh, okay. So he brought her home. She's a survivor, but he just can't clean. It's just, oh, the stress of being a cop and having a wife hooked up to machines is just too much for me. And you literally have cobwebs yeah, it's, everywhere. It, it is a true set design. Yeah. There's no yeah. I mean, they, no they went above and beyond for this yeah. one because it, yeah. it really made you feel like, wow, this place is dirty. Yeah. Effective use of the fog machine. Inside of just about every scene that has anything over, say, a 12-foot span of anything. The fog machine was used heavily inside of this to provide that mist of I don't know what. Uh, well, the, the mist of smoke, Mike. I mean, you got to remember, it's it's the late 80s, so, yeah. I mean, everybody's smoking. Oh, that's right. You know, so in the precincts, it's it's gloomy, and there's there's a layer of fog, but that's not supposed to be fog. It's supposed to be a layer of smoke. Right. Because everybody was smoking. Everybody they were either smoking, smoking cigarettes or cigars. Right. I Especially mean, Sharko. The- Sharko was smoking cigars half, uh, mo- yeah. for the majority of this, this episode. Especially in the police station, because it's important to smoke while you're yeah, conducting you, things. you got to smoke while you're doing all that paperwork. Right, Any right. cop will tell you that the number one thing about police work is the paperwork. You know, they could just roll up the paper and burn the paper, They're, too. Just burn the paper. And then not, you've then got you'd a, have more fog. Well, you've got a, a nightclub, nightclub as well. Mm-hmm. People were smoking in nightclubs, sure. so of course. And it's a nightclub, so you have fog machine. Right. So you got a little bit of both. Oh, awesome. And then you're in the do- on the docks, you know, sitting by the dock of the bay mm-hmm. and fog. Where the temperature changes quick because That's of right. fog. Right. And there's, oh. there's cold water. So uh, What was I thinking? Obviously, there's going to be lots and lots of fog because there was lots and lots of fog represented inside this episode. Literally, guys... We had to shove this in here as a good just to give it three goods. It was rough. That's how lumbering this, rough. this episode was. And I'm going to keep that's, lots, that lots should be l- a vocabulary word lumbering. <laughs> lots of lumbering fog inside this episode. <laughs> that's what we ask you guys. What on earth did you find positive about this episode? Let us know what you think by going over to our website. That's Curious Goods Podcast. Click anywhere on the right hand side, fill out that quick web form, and tell us. What did you find good inside this episode? Well, those were the goods and the only goods. Wow. 
Uh, but we've got we have a litany of bads, but we've rounded it down to just three. So you're welcome. Let's take a look <laughs> at just three of the things that definitely needed some polish in this episode. The musical soundtrack is just way too jarring. Yeah. They they, they wanted to step into the, what, what did you call it? The, the Since the show was shot in Canada, I was calling it Ontario Vice. Yeah, Ontario Vice. And Drop on the cocaine, eh? Yeah. Unfortunately, what happened because of that is the very cheesy 80s detective television show music mm-hmm. was not only way too loud, it was used way too often. Yeah, right, yeah. Inside of anything that might have been perceived as a fight scene or where there was inserted tension for tension's sake, mm-hmm. all of it was highlighted with this incredibly jarring musical soundtrack. And we, we, we the reason I, I'm, I noticed it, not just because it is freaking loud, mm-hmm. it's because we talk about soundtracks and the nuance of actual sound and especially scores inside of a lot of the other stuff that we do. Yeah. It is one of the most important pieces of just about anything you watch, regardless of where you watch it, whether it's television, whether it's a feature film that you go see in the theater, or something that's streaming that you're watching at home or on your mobile device. The bottom line is that everything you hear between this, the sound effects, the people speaking. We've talked about ADR a lot yeah, inside yeah, of yeah. Uh, previous programs. Where we we don't really dig into that, but the previous episode to this one actually had a lot of ADR that it, not only was it way too loud, you could tell. Like, right. It obviously was not captured in the same spot. Well, that was the, they were on the shoreline, so I'm sure there was a lot of stuff yeah. that was unusable because the waves are very loud. Yeah. Sound design is one of those things that you have to be very careful with because it will instantly rip you out of whatever you're watching and or taking in. Yeah. And this is a perfect sample where every single time, I'm not kidding, every single time, especially the shooting at the end, was just overwrought with this incredibly jarring music. Attempting to be something that they're not. Now, Mike, we almost put this in the goods because we debated about the fact of an anthology show like this trying to do something different could be a good thing. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, the execution of it was not, so it ended up in the bads. Well, here, let's do it this way. Let's just run through a series of things that struck us as look at the... Uh, Miami Vice-like program that's happening, except they've inserted a cursed object. Because, in my opinion, that's exactly what we just got done seeing. Before we started watching the episode, I read you the description on IMDb mm-hmm. for for yeah. this episode. Mm-hmm. A police officer uses a deadly sheriff's badge to seek revenge against a mob boss for the murder of his wife. Yeah. By the way, I don't want you to read those to me anymore before the episodes. Fine. I won't. <laughs> Good! And I know why you don't want to hear him, because it sets you up for something that sounds good. <laughs> because that description, <laughs> where the hell was that episode? Because <laughs> yeah, that's not what we watched. Absolutely. That is fact, not what we watched. I, when, I, when, I, when I saw a cop get killed on the front end, I'm like, when are they going to mention that the cop was his wife? And that's, that has nothing to do with it. The, the, the cop that got murdered happened to be a woman. It was not his wife. Right. So it like, wasn't Wait a minute, his wife. Right. But the thing is, is that this also then tells you that... 
if Sharko is the cop that we're following, then that means his wife was already dead, which then takes away the mystery of that she's she's not really there. He's not talking to anybody. He's talking to a corpse. Mm. But the thing is, is that neither one of us I, were even I, paying attention to that. I, I didn't, because I didn't, of I didn't the, think it through that far, I have to be honest. See? Because we were so, we were being so pounded in the the big, chubby, diabetes-filled fists of this episode made us not even pay attention to any of that. (laughs) Here's the gist, okay? Being something that isn't, Ryan's outfit was ripped from the pages of the Miami Vice comic book. The only thing missing was a pink shirt and and no no socks. And a gator. He needed a gator. And a gator. <laughs> Everything that Mickey was wearing from the the white Sheena Easton robe ripped out of the pages of Miami Vice. Uh, the, all of the dark, dock evening stuff. All of it. Every single piece of it. Where bad guys are standing shoulder to shoulder in front of giant white limousine looking menacing as terrible soundtrack continues. Right. Ripped from the frames and pages of Miami Vice. And the cd nightclub scenes all of them were all pages ripped out of something that was either an 80s film or it was miami vice Mm -hmm. somebody watched too many miami vice episodes and watched too many martin scorsese films (laughs) and so what they did was they 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 shook them together in like the old reese's peanut butter cup commercials wait a minute you put peanut butter in my chocolate you put chocolate in my peanut butter wait a minute Oh, that's so tasty. And it's not. No. There was nothing exciting at all about what we saw inside of this. The putting our two characters on the docks, down docks of the bay, none of it felt natural. Oh, and by the way, Mickey gets shot. It was just a graze. It was just a flesh wound. Flesh wound. It hit her hair. The awkwardness of the cursed item. Now there's a there's a part in this episode where Mickey and Ryan are researching trying to figure out what the item is and what it does and they come across newspaper clippings from 3 years earlier about a serial killer named Cooter who believed he was the reincarnation of Jesse James and went on a killing spree he was a, a serial killer and when they finally took him down he was dressed in Western regalia. He had a lot of weapons, and he had a tin sheriff star. All of his victims were branded with a star symbol. Okay, so that that ties into the fact that Sharko, when he touches somebody with the the badge, they they burn. You get the you get the burn. You get the branding, and then they get the heebie-jeebies and die. Right. I would rather have seen the story that revolved around the serial killer who thought he was Jesse James than what we were given in this episode because that sounds a hell of a lot more way, interesting. Way, not only that, than it, entertaining. Yeah. And it wouldn't have been wrapped in the wrapper of uh, Ontario Vice. Right. It I, would have made more sense where, yeah. where the item was yeah. concerned than what we were given yeah. here. Yeah, there's no, no question in my mind. Because unlike other items that actually facilitate the user to that it gives them something all this was used was to kill just to kill yeah and in a weird way i mean these people they were shaking and you could tell that they just sped up the film to make it look more violent looking yeah. but it yeah. looked ridiculous somewhere inside of this spool of 
music videos that was used, and I just I can't remember where. Mm. And obviously, that's a piece of someone said, okay, well, when they get killed, we got to be doing this. Yeah. And uh, it's it, we've talked about it only a couple of times previously, but it's like, okay, well, because we can do this, we should do this. And no, you shouldn't have. Right. The fire branding piece of what the object offers can be an integral piece, especially knowing how effective they've handled fire effects in the past. Mm-hmm. So I, I really would have liked to have seen something different. We didn't get that. Well, those were just three examples of things that needed polishing in this episode of Friday the 13th, the series. But we want to know what you thought needed a little bit of polishing. Let us know. Head on over to our website at CuriousGoodsPodcast.com. Hit the contact button, fill out that form, and let us know your thoughts on the bads of this episode. It's time to take a break here during the Curious Goods Podcast. Our focus, while providing a retelling, a revisit, and a complete educational detailing of this episode of Friday the 13th, the series. We'll be right back. Thought about a career in voiceover? Need a great, cost-effective on-hold message for your organization or business? Don't know where to start? Check out The Voice Farm, your one-stop shop for voiceover needs. Check it out now by accessing The Voice Farm at voicefarmers.com and see what difference can be made with a company that is truly outside the box. From The Voice Box, voicefarmers.com. That's voicefarmers.com. Make your podcast soar with the Editor Core. Editing podcasts can be ugh, rough. Everyone knows that you'll spend at least double the time you use creating the podcast when editing it. Then there's the control freak factor and the gotta get it right the first time. Well, it's time to shove all that out the door and make your podcast soar with the Editor Core. The Editor Core is a talented, experienced team of podcast editors that have edited tens of thousands of hours of podcast content and they're ready for yours now. Check out editorcore.com because it's time. To make your podcast soar, editorcore.com. That's editorcore.com. Wouldn't it be cool if your advertising could last forever? It can. With perpetual advertising, here's how it works. Magazine, radio, and television ads are efforts that people might see or hear once, and then they're lost forever. Perpetual advertising provides you with the chance for repeat exposure and replayability weeks, months, even years after it's originally inserted inside a podcast. So even if your advertising is included in a podcast years ago, those efforts are still impactful, providing you with true return on investment, real impact, thanks to perpetual advertising. Are you ready to change the way you and your company or organization advertises? Find out more and launch a unique perpetual advertising effort now by visiting twoguystalking.com forward slash sponsors. Everyone, welcome back to the Curious Goods Podcast, a retelling, a revisit, and a complete educational detailing of each and every episode of Friday the 13th, the series. This time, Season 1, Episode 23. Every time we come back from break, it's time to focus on our manifest moment. 
A manifest moment is where Nick and I find either an actor's portrayal, a storytelling tidbit, or something else that tripped our collective review night fantastic. Nick, what have you got? Oh, it's simple, Mike. My manifest moment has got to be the moment we realize Sharko's wife is a dead rotting corpse. <laughs> I actually made a made a comment halfway through the episode. Uh, I think it was like his second or third time talking to her. And then all of a sudden, he responds to her, but there was no dialogue coming from her. And that was that was like my first like light bulb moment. Like, this guy's crazy. Yeah. I don't think that there's really a body in there. Yeah. And then it turns out, you know, we yeah. get a we get a psycho esque moment, a Norman Bates type thing, <laughs> to where he literally has the body of his dead wife yeah. hooked up to machines that are doing nothing. <laughs> now we understand how he can afford to keep his dead wife alive <laughs> on a cop salary. Right. She's no, dead. Nothing's happening. That's what that's how. <laughs> so that is that is my manifest moment. That's a great manifest moment. There were a variety of different moments inside of this that I tried to I tried to put on the pinnacle of what was going on, but I don't think any can get over this manifest moment. The absolute duking out of the hooker slash dancer slash girl I was inside the club. I knew you were going to pick that one. It, my because, God. Because had you not picked, I almost picked that one myself. My God. <laughs> uh, I'm, I am going to capture a GIF, an animated GIF of that. Yeah, that was and it was more brutal, was brutal than I thought it was going to it was be. Absolutely, I mean, he's brutal. already Out of choking her, yeah, and getting the information. And then once he's got the information, <laughs> instead of just letting her go or throwing <laughs> her to the ground, it's not a slap. It's not a uh, I'm going to push you down. It's closed fist right in the face. It, it, there's a there's a word that Joe Rogan uses in his podcast when he's focusing on the MMA fighting stuff, yeah. and he says so and so really cracked so and so. Dude, <laughs> she got cracked. She got cracked. Sharko cracked her. <laughs> oh man! Just, and, now, see, we're, we're, laugh, we're laughing about this because of the ridiculousness of the scene. Yes, we're not, not because, condoning yes. Sharko punching a woman. <laughs> right, we were. It not just looked absolutely ridiculous on film. <laughs> it was. It was so brutal. It is one of the most brutal punches of of a woman I've ever seen. Along it, with the the sound effect of. <laughs> The punch thing going on, yeah. I almost assume that that Avery actually socked her and nobody said anything. They said, ah, print it. (laughs) Something, because, man, it's just, it's a wailing on. There's no question. Somebody's going to get sued. Yeah. Anyway, that's where we ask you guys, what was your manifest moment from this episode? There were so many, and I cannot wait to hear what you guys thought. Let us know what you think by going over to our website. That's CuriousGoodsPodcast.com. Fill out the quick web form and tell us what was your manifest moment. Vocabulary. Ah, vocabulary. It's our time to visit with our friends over at visualthesaurus.com and talk about the words we either thought of or that were mentioned inside of this episode of Friday the 13th, the series. The first word we're going to focus on tonight is... Lumbering. Some very interesting word usage here inside of the listing over at visualthesaurus.com. We have the trade of cutting or preparing or selling timber. Interesting. I would right. not have thought that. Well, lumber. Right. No, I get it. But lumbering, I've never heard that ever. Oh, really? Ever okay. used as a, as a noun, ever. Oh. It also listed as the skilled practice of a practical occupation. Never heard it. Oh, wow. Never heard that. 
And then, of course, the adjective, which we are way too familiar with from this episode <laughs> of Friday the 13th, the series, slow and laborious because of weight. Mm. Clearly, his kinship to Wilford Brimley inside of this episode was vast and lumbering itself. Too much Quaker oats. Definitely. Our second word today is... Constable. This is very interesting, and again, it drifts onto a story that Nick and I really wish would have been used inside of this episode. I think it would have been much more appropriate, especially considering that it is an old sheriff's starred badge Mm. that literally only says the word sheriff on it, Right. Yeah. which would have been from the ancient West, i.e. a constable or a lawman or something. Inside Visual Thesaurus, constable is listed as a lawman with less authority and jurisdiction than a sheriff a police officer of the lowest rank, or an officer of the law. I love the word constable because it it conjures so much great imagery just standing all on its own without any definitions at all. And I think, uh, again, I so wish they would have thought more of that and drifting back to that, oh my God, he was dressed as Jesse James and the the badge was being used by blah, 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 whatever the hell yeah, that it would have been. Yeah, would have been a better story. Much more interesting. That's where we ask you guys, what vocabulary did you find inside this episode? Season 1, episode 23. Badge of Honor. Let us know what you think by going to our website over at CuriousGoodsPodcast.com. Fill out the quick web form and tell us what vocabulary you think we should be focusing on. Episode Rating. Ah, the rating inside of the Curious Goods Podcast. The scale works thusly. A 10 is on top of the heap. A true sample of being a sage, courageous herald of integrity. A 1 is on the bottom of the scale. Deputy Dog with the Silver Bernie Badge. Time to have a spasm. Everything starts at a 7 as an average. The numbers go up with positives. The numbers go down with negatives. And Nick... There are no halvesies. Nick, what do you got? I really don't know what to say where the rating is concerned. This, uh, again, we all we always start things off at a seven. Keep it fair. Mm-hmm. Uh, this never went up. It always just kept going, <laughs> going down. Even though I had a lot of fun watching the show, there was a sense of enjoyment because it was so bad. Uh, because my horror tastes go all over the place. I like ba- movies that are so bad, they're good. Mm-hmm. This tap danced on the line of being so bad, it's good, but then quickly lumbered away into just, <laughs> it's bad. So unfortunately, uh, I got to give this episode a three. Wow. That's a devastating call for this episode. You know, the I, I love it when television shows are able to jump into the realm of police doom and detective nature and all of that. I, yeah. I there, There's an allure there, obviously, because well, yeah. I've made an entire podcast run out of visiting stuff like that. Uh, and so there was obviously some innate want inside of this to have some quality, especially some because hopes, you, yeah. especially because you blew up my balloon with all kinds of hot winded no promise. <sighs> yes, I'm so so sorry. I will never read you the episode <laughs> synopsis again before we watch a, an episode. Never, I'm, I'll never do it again. Yeah, never. Uh, unfortunately, 
this episode, especially with the jarring music, if we take the jarring music, it absolutely crushes this episode. It cracks it almost as awesome <laughs> as cracking the the dancer slash hooker slash girl who happens to be in the wrong place at the wrong time inside of this yeah, episode. Yeah, in front of Sharko's fist. I, too, would give it a three, but I can't because it's got to get cracked again, and it gets a two. Wow, okay. Right. We cannot have episodes that emulate this poor equality inside of the show. Yeah. I, I, I can't say that this is why this show didn't wasn't able to continue, but it has to be a contributing factor. There's nothing of... Well, there were two more seasons. Well, I know that there were, but <laughs> that, that's not the point. If, let's say over the course of the next several seasons, there's five more of these. Okay, well, you suddenly understand why... Then I can why. understand why it, would, yeah. why it would go away. Right, right. That's where we ask you guys, what did you think of this episode? Season 1, episode 23. Badge of Honor. Let us know what you think by going over to our website. That's CuriousGoodsPodcast.com. Click inside the web form. Uh, type something into the web form. Uh, hit the submit button and tell us what you think. Uh, well, another episode definitively not on top of the great list. But yeah. guess what, Nick? I'm going to make up for it. I stopped off at the local police station, thanks oh. to Chief Chris, and he provided me with a couple of great items. Here. Really? I've got a couple of badges that I got from the local police department. I'm going to put one on your lapel. No, that's okay. I don't No, I don't no, no, really. No, really. No. You're, you're going to love this. I swear. I swear. No, I don't care. No. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of the Curious Goods Podcast. We are always interested in learning what you remember about these enchanted items and their tales of reacquisition. Connect with us immediately at CuriousGoodsPodcast.com to share your treasured information. Until the next artifact reveals itself, the vault is now closed. That's where we ask you guys, what did you think of this episode? Season 1, episode 23. Badge of honor. Who cares anymore? <laughs> Click and paste, dumb editor.